Hi, welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and this is kind of a special episode. It, some of you may have already seen that I gave a talk for the first time ever at the Language Creation Conference. It was all digital, so I went in on Zoom and I did my presentation. And I've pulled the audio from that and just giving it to you on the feed here. I will say the video might make more sense since I have a slideshow, but I mean, sometimes to me, there's a little bit of audio delay on the video that might bother some people. So there's no harm in doing it. And uh, if you go to the LCC 10 site, you can get my slides and you can follow along with my slides too. Uh, or maybe you just want to refresh your memory listening to me. The slides on the LCC site should be updated because I did make a few mistakes that I corrected live on the air. Let me know if you would like to have more information on metrical grids and maybe a longer video because that's something that I might want to do in the future. I don't know exactly when I'll have time to get that done though. Uh, other things before I start, uh, Copicon is still a thing. Uh, you can still, I believe, register for it. So I will drop the link for that in the show notes as well. And I will have the link to my LCC 10 presentation in the show notes. Uh, apologies for not getting this out sooner, by the way. I was like waiting for some things and uh, a little bit busy, but... For your listening pleasure, here is me at LCC 10 talking about using the simplified bracketed grid in conlanging. Awesome. Um, so I, I have All to right, say- All right, you're seeing the presentation? Yes. I, I do have to yeah. say, so um, Margaret and I populated the, the schedule, but we weren't the abstract reviewers. And when we first asked the abstract reviewers to, to go through the many abstracts that we got, we did ask them to flag maybe one or two talks that were worthy of a, a keynote full hour. Um, in the end, our schedule was so full, we couldn't offer a, a keynote, but uh, your abstract was one of the ones that was flagged as, hey, this should be one of the keynotes. So I know a lot of people are are looking forward to learning a little bit more about the metrical grid. And as a phenologist, I love this stuff. Uh, so very excited to see where you go, George, with conlanging with the metrical grid. Feel free to take it away. Well, uh, it is it is something that probably would be easier to do with a 50 minute keynote, but I will try to fit it into uh, 20 minutes. So let's uh, get started. I'm George Corley. Uh, you know me from the Conlangry podcast. Um, and my subject today is using a metrical grid with Conlang. So a metrical grid, is generally a way to figure out a stress system. And um, 
right now I'm just going to work on word level stress, but you can even expand them out like all the way to utterance level. But so a metrical grid. We lost your audio there, George. Can you hear me? Yes, you're good now. Hello? Uh, uh, the last thing I oh, heard okay. was... All right. I have to... Was what? Okay. Uh, a metrical okay, grid let me, is... Let me... Oh, okay. A metrical grid is basically you've lined up your syllables and you have some system to divide them into constituents. And from there, you build up until you have like the most prominent syllables, right? Um, it's useful if you're doing something relatively complex, like if you need to do secondary stress or you're doing something that's weight sensitive. I, if you're just doing a simple regular system, if you're just French and you're just always going to put French stress at the end, don't bother with it because it's, yeah, I mean, I would say it's not worth the work, but I mean, it's not even going to be that much work because you're just going to do one thing, but it can be interesting. So here's sort of an example. And you see, you start with line zero, line one, line two, you're building up here. It's a way to map out the levels of prominence within a word or a phrase. And each syllable will end up with a number of marks. And that can sort of be used to assign stress, can also be relevant to tone. Um, uh, so, but right now I'm going to focus on stress. Um, I am going to be introducing a version of the simplified bracketed grid. Uh, it was first proposed in 1987 um, and all by Haley and Itzardi's uh, dissertation in 1992, I think, also covered it. The current one is based on a revision in 2009. This is just the theory that I learned the earlier an earlier version of the theory in graduate school and sort of was interested in it. It's help, It's nice because you don't necessarily have to think about the units as like named levels, like this is the foot, this is the prosodic word, this is whatever. Um, and you just are putting things together. So there's two types of rules. There are grouping rules where you decide how to group your metrical units into constituents. And then there's projection rules where once you have your group defined, you decide which unit gets projected to the next level. Um, so uh, the way this particular instance, um, this is from the 2009 paper, um, they define, they have these six variables. So you are asking, are you going to insert a right bracket or a left bracket? Are you going to go every two syllables or every three syllables? And we'll get to something about that. Are you starting from the right edge or the left edge of the word? So um, right edge. So since we write from left to right, left is the beginning and right is the end. 
Uh, that's just a metaphor most people will be familiar with in linguistics here. Um, do you apply it iteratively or non-iteratively? And do you skip or insert on the first, uh, this says on the first line, it should be on the first syllable. So we start what we're going to start when you're doing conlanging. I would start deciding on your, whether your rule is going to be iterative or non-iterative or, and it's going to skip and insert. And next slide will cover why. The reason is if it's non-iterative, this number here, whether it's a two or a three does not matter. It's you're just going to be inserting uh, a right or a left bracket on one of these. Um, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, I am going to have to correct my slide because that is not supposed to be what it looks like. Um, but can I, I checked over these slides over and over and I still made a mistake. Okay. So um, ignore this. This this bracket should be way over here um, if you can see my mouse. But um, basically it's wherever, whatever edge you have, you're going to be putting a mark right on the edge. And I uh, can't believe I did that. Um, if you're skipping, then it's going to matter. And this one, uh, I did not. So this, so you have are going to have, you know, eight patterns for a non-iterative rule. And it's going to matter whether you have a two or a three, uh, you know, are you going every two? And this is, so this is a right bracket that's on the second syllable. It looks a little bit unusual, but uh, I promise I didn't make a mistake on that one. Um, so there, there you have, so non-iterative, but if you want iterative, this is necessary if you're going to do secondary stress or something. Then you are basically just, you start from the, uh, uh, wherever, yeah, whatever edge, and then you keep repeating the pattern, keep repeating the pattern. Uh, and I'm going to have to go back through this and see what got messed up because I, uh, but so, and you can skip, or you can be inserting. Inserting just means that the first unit is going to have a bracket. Whereas if you skip, you skip over that however many. So having just the basic ideas of this down, um, uh, a reality check. So I gave you all these patterns for the two and a three. Um, typologically, uh, having rules or patterns that involve uh, grouping three units together is typologically rare. It's not super common for a language to do that, uh, but it can be, it can be part of it. And uh, it's 
so it's included in the uh, theory. It's it's seems to be useful for explaining some languages, and it may be useful for constructing some systems that you would want to use. Um, now, so usually you're going to be going two units. Now, let's actually, um, so a second part of this, I mentioned that this is useful when you're doing weight sensitivity. Um, so there is a special kind of grouping rule where you say you place a right or a left bracket to the right or left of a heavy syllable. Um, so, and we always sort of say our bracket is, if it's a right bracket, it's placed on the right. If it's the left bracket, it's placed on the left. But anyway, it's going to be, so for example, we have this sort of word, bubula, and this is the two types of this kind of rule where you have uh, a right bracket on bu or a left bracket on bu. Um, this is important for different kinds of weight sensitivity you might have to handle. Um, then we have, it's not a metrical grid unless you get multiple, multiple levels, right? So we're going to use projection rules and you're going to say you can either project the rightmost or leftmost unit of a group. So the rightmost syllable or the leftmost syllable. Um, and uh, you can also project brackets. I didn't have a, um, I think I may have an example later, but so here is what it looks like for projecting the left of a group. This is for projecting the right of a group. And you can see we're starting to say, okay, well, uh, there these two are more prominent now. So maybe these will be assigned stress in some way. Then we go to, we've got uh, a rule that can project brackets. Now you can have one of these grouping rules in to put brackets in, or you can project brackets. I have not really figured out how useful this is creatively, um, but it's a part of the, the theory. I'm sure that it can be uh, manipulated to create certain interesting stress systems. So let's actually go through an example because I think that will help understanding a little bit. So I have these three sort of theoretical conlang words. So kukulat, babamina, and kirinato. And ignore my stress because we're going to figure out what the stress is on these things. So now let's start a grouping rule. So this is R2LNS. So it is non-iterative. It skips the first syllable. And it is a right bracket on the second. Yes, on the second element from the left. So starting from the left, you count one, two. And you've got where that's where your bracket goes. One, two, one, two. Okay. Now, how about heavy syllables? How about we just put a right bracket on heavy syllables? 
And uh, this could be, you could, you could go either way on this. You could go left brackets and right brackets. Uh, I think I thought it would be most interesting if I did a right bracket in this case, just as an illustration, since we have cool as a second syllable and we have, uh, we, it actually makes a difference rather than a left bracket wouldn't really make a difference for Kukula. Okay. Now. Okay. We go to the next layer project and I've chosen to project. Oh my gosh. Oh crap. Um, that's, it helps if you actually know right from left in order to do this. So I actually, I, I, I put this down as, as it project L and, uh, but, but I had written this as project R that's weird. So, because it is, this is the leftmost. Okay. I noticed that with, with this bracket, I, I sincerely apologize for not looking at this hard enough. Right. So we have a right bracket. This is a left bracket. That's right. Okay. Oh, let's go. Let's, let's, let's keep, keep going on this. So we've got actually a left bracket on heavy syllables. We projected to left. So here we get initial stress here and here and we've got um we've we've got because this has become just its own unit we end up with the first heavy syllable becoming becoming like stressed here now we still have two marks here so we want to Define it some way that we get just one primary stress, right? And and let me correct myself because I, yeah, this is, and this here, that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> Okay. Why is my Okay. So, uh so we've got now we decided I decided you put a left bracket counting from the left non-iterative insert so it's just going to be on the first one. So you just end up with one here and then one I think we lost your mic again, George. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, for some reason with the new computer, I have to be much closer to the mic than usual. Okay. So um, anyway, so here it's not mattering here, which, which way we project because we end up with just one unit here. Um, but with different rules, you would have different situations. 
And now we have the full stress system. We could say, okay, maybe there's a secondary stress now. So it'd be Kirinatora here versus Kukulat and Babamina, where you don't end up with any secondary stresses. Now, and lovely. Uh, so let me fix my stuff because now I understand what I was doing here. Right. So now I had project L before. Now we go to project R. And here we have, we, we've got Babamina. And here we got, so, uh, because we actually made a unit using this left bracket. And then if we project the rightmost, then we are going to get an X here. And then we do our rules here. We get an X here. And primary stress is Kirinatora. And I had to check this because this is an actual thing that can happen. You can have heavy adjacent stress rather than the stress actually going on to the um, the heavy syllable itself. You can have um, it puts the stress next to it. Um, but you can see. If you get used to this, and uh, I apologize for my earlier like issues with with uh, with um, forgetting forgetting what I had done, but um, if you you know get used to the system and you start playing around with it, then you can see that any parameter you change in here is going to change the stress system. Now. I don't think necessarily you're going to use this in your grammar to describe your stress system, but it's like a, a toy to play with to figure out what the stress system is. And then you can sort of put together, oh, it's descriptively uh, for this one. It would be like, um, oh, stress is typically on the second syllable, um, uh, except there can be, um, I, we'd have to define what the rules are. We'd have to talk about like, the, there's going to be some complex interactions with heavy. I think we need more examples, but we would get like, uh, if there's a heavy syllable and then a light syllable at the end, it goes light syllable, or if it ends in a heavy syllable, we're going to end, have stress on that heavy, heavy syllable. You just have to explain it that way. Um, and so things to note, um, always stay rooted in typology. Like I said, I came up with something unexpected there and I looked it up to make sure it made sense. Uh, you will need to make some other decisions. What counts as a heavy syllable? How are you going to do secondary stress? Also, are you going to use this for stress only or are you going to have it affect tone as well? Um, and you may need to do some other rules in addition to this. So uh, you might incorporate stress class rules. Um, there may be other phonological rules that occur within the derivation. Um, for example, um, 
they did one of the examples in the paper was Ho Chunk, and they had to decide like when does Dorsey's law is a vowel copying rule in Suan languages that breaks up um, initial clusters. And they had to decide, okay, this is happening before stress assignment in order to get things to work out. In a conlang, you can probably decide on when these kinds of other rules fit in. But above all, just have fun with it. And um, uh, it's 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 interesting to play with. Um, uh, and uh, I think it's. I know it it can be a useful tool in your conlanging if you want to use it. Thanks so much, George. If you want to uh, exit out, we can see you again. Um, yeah, let me uh, uh, pause share. Do I just like there you go? That's perfect. okay. Stop sharing. There we go. Um, and I apologize a- for like having some mix-ups <laughs> hey that's no problem uh, this is my jam this is this is how yeah. i learned stress back in uh, 301 phonology uh, i absolutely love the metrical grid yeah some of the youtube comments people are like this is awesome but i need to watch this a second time to really get through it and i was suggesting um practice with it it becomes super easy once you've done it a couple of times uh we've had a recommendation for bruce hayes's book yeah. uh, metrical stress theory i recommended understanding phonology as a as a good starter to it um, any other like primers that yeah, you would immediately those... suggest uh you know i it's been such a long time since i learned this that i kind of you just do i'm it. not sure like yeah. um yeah, yeah, it's sort of like um I I had some issues like figuring this out because like I was going to use something more similar to what I had learned originally in grad school and then I saw this more recent paper and I was like within a week writing an entirely different presentation. Yeah. <laughs> but um uh yeah, I, it's it I think it will be something that can take some practice to get used to, but um, I saw someone in the YouTube comments say, oh, it's actually fairly simple. You just define your, your constituents and, and build up. And yeah, the base thing is pretty simple, whether you use this particular system or you do like a foot base system or something, it's, at base, pretty simple. You define some kind of a constituent at the base, and then you move to line one, and then you probably have to do some constituent there in order to to get up to there. Yeah. So, and I, uh, there's a whole lot of things I couldn't fit in to a 20-minute talk. So I have myself thought of making like a longer video about this if people are interested, but I think just having an idea and like playing with it a little bit, it may be, it may be useful if you're building a language that benefits from it. Yeah. Um, 
I, I love this. I'm, I'm, of course, an OT phenologist, an optimality theory phenologist, and um, I know there are criticisms of optimality theory, but I, I quickly grabbed David's book and his section on stress. He says, you know, optimality theory is really good for stress. Uh, w- would you say not as good as the metrical theory? Like, is there a reason someone might choose metrical grid versus optimality theory? I I have no idea why David says that. I'm sure he has like his own way that he has used it before. Uh, I would be cautious of using optimality theory for most things, but for, for, for stress mainly because like I have seen a presentation where someone, where they tried to make a, an optimality theory um, account and they, what they were doing is using a computer to generate all of the possible constraint ranking rankings and building stress systems. And some of them are, were like wacky. <laughs> some of them, some of them like were counting things completely differently for, for even an odd number of syllables. Oh, phonology. And so, yeah. And that, that's, that's that's a big thing. Like you, you you working with units of two, maybe units of three. But yeah, phonology can't count, so you don't know whether the whole word is even or odd. Sometimes you get odd effects because of the way the constituents are constructed, but it's not you. You're not going to reference the like entire length of the word. Like no, that. I agree with that. Um, the other question I saw was, yeah. do you have an example of how this would work together with tone? Uh, unfortunately, I don't. Um, there are some, uh, quote unquote, pitch accent systems, I think, that where like the tone is basically being assigned based on metrical units, but I didn't like fully research that my uh like of course my own like knowledge of tone comes primarily from study of chinese and in there it's like the way it interacts with the stress system is if you have an unstressed syllable the tone gets deleted so that's not really (laughs) it's not really my thing uh but it is uh i have seen people talking about metrical systems being used in tone assignment and maybe that's something i can delve into more yeah based on the comments i'm seeing on the youtube channel and of course encourage you to jump over and and interact after you're done here uh, people would appreciate that that separate video where you did uh, a bit more of a deep dive and a few examples uh both natural language examples and 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 hopefully Yes. And hopefully get my right and left straight. Uh, <laughs> well, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Um, I suppose that it's almost time for me to uh, jump and you to introduce the next person. But uh, yeah, thank you. The opportunity to have a talk. No. And, and thank you for introducing metrical grid because I, I think it's a very useful tool as well um, and I, I think people will re-watch this yeah. And, yeah. and love it. All right. Thank you so much, George. Mm-hmm. 
No problem. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Conlangery. Conlangery is entirely supported by our patrons at Patreon. To become a patron, go to patreon.com slash conlangery and pledge your monthly amount. As little as a dollar will help us out. A special thanks to Ezekiel Fordsmender, Margaret Ransdell Green, and all of those who have chosen to support us. Conlangery is under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. You may use Conlangery episodes for any non-commercial work as long as credit is provided to us and you release your work under the same license. Conlangery's website was created by Bianca Richards. Our theme music is by Null Device. And transcriptions of our episodes have been provided by Sarah Doparella. Casado.